Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Beer and Biceps podcast with me, Matt Smith. Uh, today is the first episode of season three, and in it I will be looking at has the anti-diet movement gone too far? Uh, so what I'm going to first do is explain what the anti-diet movement is, and then I'm going to talk about what I like about it and what I don't like about it, and then I will hopefully remember to actually answer the question and say has it gone too far? Right, so the anti-diet movement is um, also, it, it's a phrase that has only recently turned up and it's more, they would describe themselves as anti-diet culture. Um, so I think there are many people, I mean, it, it's a big group of people that say this and obviously not everyone in the same group will have the exact same beliefs or stuff like that. That's what it's like with all groups. Uh, no group is a monolith. Um but overall, they would say that diet culture and the fitness industry as a whole is wrong. Um, and what they talk about more is promoting body acceptance, the idea that um, health can come in all different sizes. And the main idea of the anti-diet movement is that people should be aiming for health rather than aesthetics. So it's not how you look, it's not whether your abs are showing, it's whether you're healthy. Now, whether the anti-diet movement actually helps people towards that or keeps them away from it is kind of the point of this whole conversation. But that's that's one issue of many. Um, so they, they also talk about stuff like um, thin privilege, which is a phrase that took me a while to get my head around. I did not like it at all at first. Um, is the idea that if you're thin, you shouldn't really... It's, it's a bit like uh, white privilege or, um, you know, privilege. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, if you're thin and you've never been out of shape, then you are privileged. Um, and you know, some... I sort of agree with it, to be fair. Like, there is definitely a genetic component to um, obesity and there's definitely a genetic component to um, being very lean, naturally, uh, you know. And... A lot of personal trainers and fitness influencers, I guess they do have thin privilege. Like they, they don't have any idea what it's like um, to be overweight, and you know a lot of them can can be quite hectoring, uh, and they don't really understand it. I'll give you an example. Um, in October, no, November twenty nineteen, I had a uh, surgery. Uh, I'm not going to go on what in what it was. For, um, let's just say penis reduction and leave it at that. Okay, it wasn't that at all. Um, but it was proper surgery, and after that, I almost developed sepsis. Um, so, and one of the conditions of having the surgery was I couldn't exercise for until everything was healed. And because I almost had sepsis, it took a lot longer to heal. So I was completely out of action, um, difficult to walk for long distances, certainly couldn't exercise. And, you know, I'd go on Instagram and there'd be like a 20-year-old uh, woman with six-pack abs going, you know, what's your excuse or, you know, no excuses and all that sort of stuff. And I just went, thank you. Thank you for telling me I've got no excuse when I literally am not allowed to exercise. Fuck you. Um, so, you know, that that is a bit of thin privilege, I guess. But you don't have to be thin to be a dick. Um, but, yeah, so that's sort of what the anti-diet movement is about and as you can tell 
I clearly, maybe you can already tell already that I clearly have things I like and things I don't like about it. But let's go on to what is good about the anti-diet movement. Okay, um, the first thing about it that I really like is that it actually targets the majority of the general public, which is what I'm trying to do with um, beer and biceps. Uh, I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong, I would never turn down somebody who wants to be a bodybuilder because, I mean, the testimonial images alone would be incredible. But um, my main target is blokes who are in their 30s, you know, who don't want to necessarily have a six-pack but would like to lose weight. Um, and most of the fitness industry, for some reason, they me- that's where they make all their money, but it's always targeted at young 20-year-olds who want to get, you know, washboard abs. Um, and the anti-diet movement, you know, focuses on everyone else. Um, it targets a lot more women than usual. Um, I remember when I was in college, um, we actually did a class about uh, demographics and training, and one of the lessons was on the lack of um, it was lack of Asian women in who went to gyms. Um, and this was early two thousands, and I think that the guy who was teaching us he'd done his dissertation on it. Um, yeah, it was a lack of Asian women in fitness. Uh, I think maybe specific specifically uh, Muslim women, but you know the idea was that they they didn't tend to go to the gyms as much. Um, and there were lots of reasons for that, uh, cultural reasons, um, uh, racial inequality, um, uh, location, all that sort of stuff. But one of the reasons was um, nobody was really encouraging them. So, you know, if humans like humans that are similar to them. You know, that kind of causes a lot of our problems. But, you know, it, Joe Wicks can... You know, he's great and most people love him, but, you know, many Muslim women would quite like to see a Muslim woman telling them to exercise. So one of the good things about the anti-diet movement is that it's very um, inclusive and it talks to um, women of all races, but also all sizes. And again, what I've noticed, I say I've noticed, what I've learned from courses that I've done is that um, people who are overweight and obese not uh, not so much now but especially for the last you know 20 years or so they didn't have role models they had people who'd lost all the weight which by the way is something that's so difficult that such a small amount of people do that it you know it's not that relevant but you know um they never had people who were quite big going to the gym i mean people did but it wasn't shouted about and one of the good things about the anti diet movement is that it celebrates these people and it normalizes it you know, uh, the reason that Nike and Reebok and all that are making workout clothes for larger women and men is because of the anti-diet movement, and they've done that. That's fantastic. It's great news for anyone in the fitness industry because once you normalise going to the gym, we're all going to make more money. Awesome. Uh, and also great for the people themselves. Uh, I'm not trying to just monetize other people's struggle. Um, but, you know, let's be let's be realistic. It's good news for everyone. It's a win-win-win. Um, and you'd be surprised at how many people used to contact me through my website when I was PT in Harrow. Um, and they'd be like, I'd lo- I want to sign up with you, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to lose weight before I go to the gym. And the reason that was that they were embarrassed to go because... They didn't think that larger people, like obese people or very overweight people, went to the gym. Uh, but that has really... I mean, they always did. That was always a, a bit of a myth. But 
it's much more normalised now, so people are more likely to do it. Another thing I like about the anti-diet movement is, overall, it's kind and it's positive and that nobody's following this movement out of cynicism or out of self-hate or, you know, that sort of stuff. It's it's a positive movement. And whilst I will go on to the many downsides I've or the many problems I have with it, let's all just remember that my main argument my main point about this is that it's a kind movement and the people who are doing it are trying their best and in many ways succeeding. Um, another benefit is that it looks to improve people's self-esteem. That's a huge benefit. Um, I will argue later that lots of people in the industry do this, but it's another big benefit of the anti-diet movement, and they do put a lot of effort into improving self-esteem, improving mood, and improving self-worth. All of these things tie into um, helping people to lose weight, because if you want to lose weight and you are obese... You can't just focus on diet. It's not just about cutting out the crap, as people say. Um, it's about addressing your whole body health. And I know this makes me sound like some woke dickhead. And I remember writing this on a BBC News comment section and getting massively downvoted. Um, because what I've learned about the BBC News comment section is every single person on that is an absolute dickhead. But... As much as that lot won't like me to say it, it is true, and it has been shown again and again, that obesity is caused by multiple factors. It's not just about overeating. It's about bad sleep. It's about stress. It's about depression. It's about um, lack of access to gyms or you know lack of fitness education. Not lack of education itself, lack of fitness education. People don't know what they're doing all the time. And all of these things combine together. And that, that affects everyone, but some people have that genetic benefit that it's not going to happen some people have help some people work hard in spite of that which is great but the problem with obesity is that once it starts it's very difficult to get out of the cycle because everything brings itself down if you gain weight that can affect your sleep which can affect your anxiety and your mood and give you depression which can then affect your weight again and it snowballs from there anti-diet movement looks to fix well yeah, maybe it does look to fix one of those areas, the self-esteem, the mood and all that sort of stuff, the mental health side of it. Um, I think that's a bit out of their uh, remit, to be honest. Um, and again, that is another issue with it, but it's not exclusive to the anti-diet movement. Way too many people in the fitness industry spend their life trying to diagnose their clients or their followers with pop psychology. I'd probably do it myself. It's difficult because... Like, for example, right now I'm doing a course in behaviour, so whenever I hear a client talking to me, what I want to do is use that knowledge I've just got. But the problem is, I don't know it well enough to use it, um, so I don't. But the difference is that a lot of people in the anti-diet movement tend to. But then they do that in everything. Like, I mean, how many bloody, especially in male fitness, how many um, release the alphas have we heard? And that's all the same thing, but I mean, it's all bullshit. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not qualified to do it, but they act like they are. Anyway, I'm still on the positive, so um, let's stick to that. Um, another good thing about the anti-diet movement is it calls out the bullshit in the fitness world. Now, the fitness industry has a lot of good things. I'm going to talk about that more. But there is a lot of bullshit in there, especially on social media. Like Instagram's absolutely fooled with 
filled with diet hacks or tricks or tips for weight loss, and a lot of them are just absolute crap. They come from a good place, but they're rubbish, and they can make people feel bad, They can people can follow it, and it's not the right advice for them. And a lot of the anti-diet movement tries to call out on it. Um, I, I'd say um, there's... Yeah, there's quite a few influencers who spend all their time calling out the BS, and they do a good job of it. They also need to target their own side of the industry, though, because, well, stick it to the good side. Um, Yeah, uh, also, it's uh, it may prevent some forms of disordered eating. Not all, um, and that is a huge blind spot for them. But many of the people who are in the anti-diet movement talk about their own suffering with disordered eating, so anorexia, bulimia, you know, stuff like that. And a lot of them say that, you know, diet culture caused that, which is a perfectly valid point. Um, I think it's the closest bit on this to a bit of a neutral point. So, again, what you've got to remember is that a lot of the people... Also remember it about me before I even say this, listen. We're not experts in eating disorders. I don't think... Maybe one or two of the people in that part of the industry are, but the majority of them are not. I'm not an expert in disordered eating. I've read a lot about it, like studies, courses, all that sort of stuff. Anecdotally, I know quite a lot about it because I've, um, I've had clients in the past with it. Obviously, I didn't give them any advice, but they told me, and I needed to know that so that I could talk to the people that they were talking to because it's very even if you're not giving them diet advice if somebody's got an eating disorder or body dysmorphia which um, is the condition that can cause a lot of it um, you've got to be aware of that from an exercise point of view to stop them from over exercising or you know if see stuff like that so I have a sort of shallow knowledge on it um, but what I do know is that disordered eating will exist even if there is no such thing as diet culture because there is more to it than that. Um, There's been disordered eating before there were magazines, before there was supermodels, before there was um, diets, before there was... Well, not before there was diets, but before any of it. It's, you know, it's a psychological condition which has got many, many causes. Um, So, you know... And I also feel that sometimes they they use the fact that people who have anorexia could, you know, like, for example, oh, do you know what, I'm going into the bad sides anyway, so I'm just going to continue with this for now. Um, anorexia and bulimia and stuff like that is a very serious condition, but they do not affect the entire population. They affect a very small part of the population. Um, that small percentage is still a lot of people, and they buy... All means need to be cared for, but we don't get rid of alcohol advertising because there are alcoholics, even though that would be very triggering for them, because for the majority of people, it's fine. You can't change the entire fitness industry based on people's eating eating disorders. It just it doesn't work like that. Society doesn't work like that. If if it did, then we would close down all the casinos, there would be no sports betting, there'd be no alcohol. There'd be no alcohol advertising. There'd be no, there'd be no beer and biceps. <laughs> like you know, I can't stop this podcast because there are alcoholics, 
and Gymshark can't stop selling products because there are people that would be triggered by it. That's why you have trigger warnings to warn the people who get triggered by it. So I think diet culture needs to, anti-diet culture needs to be aware that you can't apply rules to the whole population based on a very small amount. Um, but it's coming from a good place and there are many benefits to how they treat it and a lot of the stuff in the industry definitely does need to be called out and congratulations to people in the anti-diet movement for doing that. Oh. Right. So, one of my problems with the anti-diet movement... One of the first problems I have with it is um, the amount of finger-pointing it does at the fitness industry. Um, here's the thing. Uh, every single person I've met in the fitness industry has thought they were doing good, or has wanted to do good, or has wanted to do better. And I could count the number of bad personal trainers I've seen on one hand and a couple of fingers. <laughs> and I would count all the fantastic PTs I've seen on several hands. I don't really know where I'm going with this analogy. There are lots and lots and lots of very, very good PTs who care about their clients, who care about all this sort of stuff, but would be classed as diet culture by the anti-diet movement. Um, and I don't like it. I don't like the but the thing is, everyone does this. I've worked with a lot of PTs um, as a copywriter or, you know, writing blogs for them. And all of their websites, one of the questions we ask them is, what makes you different from the competition? You know, what makes you so special? And a lot of them will give answers like, you know, well, we do this, this and this. But the problem is, they all do this, this and this because they're all damn good PTs. There are lots and lots of good PTs out there, but they all think that the rest of the industry is terrible. But it's not. You, We'll all know one or two bad personal trainers. We'll all know many misguided personal trainers. But for the most part, it's an industry where everyone's trying to work their hardest, but they're constantly slagging each other off. And it's not good for the industry's look as a whole. Now, the anti-diet movement just, you know, uses this big umbrella term of diet culture as if dieting is in itself wrong it's not everyone diets you know you can have a, a weight gain diet you can have a weight loss diet you can have a weight maintenance diet um, a mediterranean diet a japanese diet an english diet it's what you eat what you're eating so you know stop pointing your fingers at others and saying how wrong they are as if you're the only solution there are many different ways to help people um the anti-diet movement tends to focus more on, well, here's what they say they do differently. They don't count calories. They don't tell you to restrict certain foods. There are no good foods. There are no bad foods. Um, and no emphasis on weight loss. But people are still wanting to lose weight because that's literally what people want to do. Nobody... In all my time coaching clients I probably coached hundreds I, I don't know the numbers but lots and lots and lots I genuinely think I only had one client who asked me to work with them and every time anyone asked me to work with them I'd say 
And what's your main reason for doing this? And only one client out of the hundreds and hundreds I worked with said anything other than I want to look better naked. They may have dressed it up as I want to look stronger or I want to lose weight or I want to get rid of, you know, the body fat around my hips or blah, 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 whatever. Only one person ever said anything that wasn't I want to look better naked and it was I want to do boxing because I used to do boxing as a PT coach. In fact, today is the eighth eight year anniversary of me getting my qualification in that. <laughs> Sorry, I just Facebook memory popped up. Um yeah, so the anti-diet movement is kidding itself if it thinks that people don't want to look better naked. But, you know, that's what they say. They say they do that differently. I would say that that's literally what all PTs are trying to do. Some use calorie counting. Some will recommend that you avoid certain foods. But whatever. Different people respond to different things. And so long as people are getting fitter and healthier, that's all that matters, right? Like, you know, as long as the person at the end result is psychologically fine, is healthy, and has got the goals they wanted, that's all that matters. And I would say that traditional personal training is better at doing that than anti-diet movement. And the most successful people in the anti-diet movement would have to be using the same tactics as the PTs, but, you know, giving them different titles. You know, if, if somebody comes with you and they want to lose weight and you're in the anti-diet movement, what are you going to do? You're going to tell them to move more and eat less, because it's the only way that it will work. I mean, I I do nutrition coaching now. I recently qualified with precision nutrition. I probably only mentioned it 42 times so far. Um, so what I do with people, I don't do calorie counting anymore, but it still works. It's still a great tool. I just don't think it works for my clients, because my clients are typical people. Um, but if I was coaching a wannabe bodybuilder I'd have to use calorie counting and I would use it in a way that didn't crush their soul like because why would I want to do that right so that's my main problem with it it's finger pointing second problem with it is a lot of the experts aren't really experts they right my qualification history I've got a degree in sports science from a very unpopular university, London Met. <laughs> um, years of studying, got my reps level two, reps level three, um, boxing qualification, obviously, very important, um, precision nutrition qualification. I am in no way an expert in this. I am beyond an amateur, but I'm, I'd am i say I was professional, but, you know, there are very few experts in our field. Um, I, I realised the other day that nobody would have retired from personal training due to old age, you know, after having a full career of it. Maybe if you started at 50, you know, it is a very young field. So in our industry, people get to become experts almost overnight and there's not really much anyone can do to say it. Um, but I've, I've noticed that the anti-diet movement seems to put a lot of people on pedestals who aren't actually all that qualified they're just really good on social media like the regular fitness industry experts which i'd say would be lane norton um uh so he don't remember her second name but she worked with lane norton i know her instagram's so he fit but i don't think her second name's fit although that'd be really cool um brad schoenfield brett Contreras, um all of these people are are doctors or in Zoe's case she's becoming a 
I think she's becoming a doctor in it. You know, they're literally they're Alan Aragorn is another one. They've got you know papers to their names. They are massive, massive people with serious uh, qualifications and credentials. So they are experts. Then you look at the anti-diet movement, and none of them are. Re- Maybe there is one or two, but majority of them are not experts. They're just people like me who, you know, maybe they've got a precision nutrition qualification. Maybe they've got, you know, uh, Les Mills dance to music qualification. Maybe they've got no qualification at all, but they're, they've got huge followings and they look great in fucking gym shorts. <laughs> um, but they get, they put themselves up as smarter than the experts because they're the ones saying that what the experts have been saying is wrong. And it's part of diet culture, yet their solution is correct. But the problem with that is that they've got nothing really to back it up with. If you actually look at the science of a lot of things they argue with, they're on the wrong side of the science. So they say that, you know, um, meal replacement shakes don't work. But if you've listened to my podcast, you know, there are many studies that have shown that meal replacement shakes do work. They're not ideal, but there is a reason why doctors have been giving them to people with type 2 diabetes and obesity is because that long term, it is easier to follow and it has better results. Just about, like, don't get me wrong, it's not a miracle cure and I, don't re- I wouldn't recommend it to any of my clients, but I'm not going to have a go at some uh, an overweight person who's using it. Um, so yeah, so their first argument is blown out of the water. They're against calorie counting, yet again, it has been shown to work. Not so, studies have shown it, yeah, that's fine, but also just the anecdotal, like every single fitness model and bodybuilder has used calorie counting, so it clearly works, and you can't say that every single one of them has, you know, been affected by it negatively, because they haven't. Some might have, and maybe for them it wasn't the right move, but many of them use it. Many um, professional athletes, they may not know they're using it, but they're, you know in-house chefs and personal tra- um, and dietitians certainly know what they're doing. Um, they'll have a go at keto, and I'm, I, I'm not a fan of keto at all, but it certainly works. I saw, um, it was on Instagram, and it was like, you know how they get TikTok videos on Instagram? And it was like, you know, when they just point at a sign, and it says like, it was something like, keto is just for epileptics. And it's like, Yes, it was originally designed for epileptic children, but then they were shown to have crossover value to other people. Like, I've taken the piss out of keto more than anyone, but I still admitted at the end of the day that it works and that people enjoy doing it, and they should. So why is this so-called expert just lying? Or, if they're wrong, why aren't they aware of it? It's very difficult to to get yourself into a position of... um, where your voice is heard in this industry because we're all quite clued up. It's also, we've got massively competing knowledge, but one of the, I don't say shortcuts, one of the, yeah, one of the shortcuts is to position yourself on one quite extreme topic and stick to it. None of, nobody who's a centrist like me, who just likes everything down the middle and fence sitting, that doesn't work. The people that get the most, um, most followers are the ones who pick something controversial and stick with it. And the anti-diet movement is controversial because, well, even the name of it doesn't make any sense. Like, you're still dieting. But yeah, so, and that's another issue is a lack of experts on their side. Um, there are some experts, but like, I think one of the biggest followers of the anti-diet movement, I think her name is, it's, 
if I've got this wrong, I'm going to sound awful, but I think her name is Fat Doctor or Fat GP. Like, I genuinely think that's her name. Um, if I'm wrong and she's called Jeanette, then I'm an asshole. But I think that's it. But um, she's one of those people that says that it doesn't matter if you are fat, so long as you are fit and you can be fit and healthy while still being fat. Um, and she's a GP, so obviously she's got a medical history. But the problem is that a lot of what she's saying has no evidence for it. Um Majority of studies that back her point up have been flawed or small or have had problems with them. And I'm not the one who's arguing with her on this. I am parroting the words of Lane Norton, who argued with her. Um, and then she body shamed him, which was quite funny, because you're not supposed to do that. But apparently he looks gross because he's also a bodybuilder. Um, but yeah, um, she's you know the closest thing to an expert that the anti-diet movement has. And... What she's saying is a load of rubbish a lot of the time. Um, I think one of my, the problem I have with this more than anything is not is not the fact that a lot of the things they say go against what the science says because well that literally describes ninety percent of fitness instructors. I'm probably doing it myself. It's very hard not to do it when it's really complicated. <laughs> um, but one of the things they do is they ignore the very real dangers of obesity. So it's become taboo to talk about weight loss. And I think that's a bit crazy because yes, I want people to feel confident. Yes, I want their self-worth to be up. I want their self-esteem to be high. I want them to not feel ashamed of their bodies. But the whole point of us trying to extend our life is to constantly improve. Not to just go, all right, I'm out of shape, I'm overweight, and that is bad for my health, but I'm just going to accept that and not make the changes I need to. That is actually important. Like, I said earlier that they're talking to the majority of the country. What we've got to understand is that at the moment, in the UK, 67% of men are overweight or obese. 60% of women are overweight or obese. One of the things, one of the reasons people say that the UK got hit so bad by coronavirus, because if you actually look at our vaccine numbers compared to deaths, we've got one of the highest, and they said it's because we have the highest obesity rates in Europe. There is n no study on earth that will tell you that you are healthier being obese than you are after losing weight. And the goal of anyone who is dealing with somebody who's obese should be to help them lose the weight through diet and exercise. And to be fair, that's what the anti-diet movement, that's what they want. They just are afraid to say it for some unknown reason. I don't, I don't get why. Like, they, they, you know, they don't, they, what they want is people to say, you know, like, I'm, I may be obese, but I'm super fit and I'm super healthy. And... That's fine up until a point, but you need to lose that. You need to lose weight to become healthier. Like, you know, you're increasing your risk of type 2 diabetes. You're putting more strain on your heart, more strain on your uh, joints, your ligaments. You're more likely to get injured. You're going to get less, um, what's the word, freedom as you get older, meaning that you're going to be more likely to stay indoors. It's not good for your sleep. It's not good for your anxiety. It's not good for your mental health. Um and as I said before, it all snowballs. 
And the older you get, the harder it is to stop this. And it makes me sound like a dick, I know. It makes me sound like the bad guy. And I don't want to sound like the bad guy. But some some things are just, you know, they're unpleasant. We've got to be more honest about this sort of stuff. It's like, um, you know, finding out... You know, I, I remember I was watching a um, TV show New Girl. And there was a scene about them... Uh, in season two, where they find out that, like, I think it's when you turn 30, you've only got 3% of your um, eggs left alive, or something like that, you know, so it make, becomes much more difficult to become pregnant. And I heard that, and I'm like, oh shit, me and my partner are, well, I'm 32 going on 33, she's 31 going on 32. I did not like hearing that fact, but I can't disagree with it, and, you know, I've got to be prepared for that, you know, like, we are going to have to change our lives if we want to have kids before it is literally too late. And it's not it's not a nice thing. I want people to say, no, Matt, you continue living your childless existence and you can have them later. And that would be, you know, if I heard that, that'd be great. But, you know, I need somebody to tell me the truth. And it's the same with obesity. You are, the more overweight you are, the harder it is on your heart and all that sort of stuff. And if you are exercising, fantastic. And if you are eating right, fantastic. But your goal should be to lose weight so that you can improve your health and live a longer life. And, you know, that's a brilliant thing to do. And if you fail trying, fair enough. You know, keep going at it and don't stress out about it. But you're, you need to be honest about what your goal is rather than trying to hide up with it. And, you know, that's the main problem I have with it. There... They're afraid to be the bad guys. They're afraid that somebody's going to call them out and say, hey, you told me I needed to lose weight. Like, And incidentally, don't tell people that if they don't want to hear it. But if they ask you the question, should I lose weight, and you are the person who is charged with helping them, then find a polite way of doing it. But don't lie to them. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty much my only issue. I guess the other one I don't... It's the whole industry is very sort of politicised. Um, I'm quite a centrist person, I've said. Like, I don't really vote left or right. I'm kind of in the middle. I personally think that that's the right place to be. Um, the anti-diet movement is far, far left. Um, and I don't think they realise it, but that makes them quite exclusive. Like, uh, exclusatory? Like... They talk about, you know, diversity and all that sort of stuff, yet they tend to badmouth white men quite a lot. Like, one of them, one of them specifically said, they were talking about, um, they said, oh, you know, my audience, you should go for this job. We don't want another white male get, you know, uh, an, old, an old white male getting that job. And I'm just thinking, what on earth do you think you're doing saying that? Like, what a ridiculously... Um, what's the word? Rude thing to say. Um, but yeah, do they want you know their followers to just be exclusively left-wing middle-class women? I don't know, but they're certainly that's who they're appealing to because this anti-diet movement's not appealing to any other demographic. It's just a very specific. I feel like it's very targeted at one area, like, and I think that's wrong. Uh, for me, with with my coaching, in my audience, my rule is no politics. 
I don't want to hear you talk about politics because it's by its very definition it splits people down the middle into camps and all that sort of stuff and it's we need areas where there aren't politics so much and I think the fitness industry and all that sort of stuff should be one of it I, I think that if you're telling the world that you want to help everyone then don't be so rude to certain demographics <laughs> don't be so you know um exclusatory but that's a very minor issue really um and also, it's nowhere near as bad as the, uh, the, let's say the centre-right male-dominated CrossFit sort of group, which I can't stand either. Like, um, you know, the Republican lifters. <laughs> I don't like that side either. So, I'm, as I said, I'm bang down the middle. Um, in fact, that's the most I've ever talked about my own personal politics on the thing. So, probably wimp out and delete it. Right. Um, one thing I noticed whilst doing the podcast in season two was that the ones where I talked about beer got more listeners than the ones where I talked about fitness, which is a bit of a shame because I really enjoy talking about fitness and I know a lot more about it than beer. But what my audience wants, they will get. So not in this episode because I've talked long enough. This is way longer than usual. Um, but I will be talking more about beer as well. More of a 50-50 split than the 90-10 split. Um, today I've been drinking Wonderlust IPA, which is from Allendale Brew Company, which are based in Hexham, which is apparently in northeast England. I'd never heard of it. <laughs> no, no, I'd never heard of it. That, that's really bad. I, I love, I love geography. I can name every country in the world, but I did not know about Hexham, which is very embarrassing. Um, the beer is great. Uh, it's a bit strong, six point five percent. I'm not usually a fan of that. Uh, Taste-wise, it's very bitter, um, really bitter beer um, for a pale ale, um, which is not, again, not my style, but it's still definitely a very good beer. Um, if you like your stronger IPAs and your bitter-tasting ones, you know, very hoppy, then this is the beer for you. Um, and if you don't like them, you can still drink it anyway, because what I've described is my, one of my least favourite beer styles, but actually, I'm really enjoying it, so yeah. Um, Wonderlust IPA by Allendale Brew Company very good alright I think I've talked enough burnt enough bridges um, have a very good time everyone and I will see you I will not see you it's a podcast Matt I will talk to you next week